Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dream. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Disclaimer. Horror Hill is a horror anthology podcast bringing you scary stories from all corners of the internet and beyond. As such, certain stories include content that some listeners might find offensive. Specifically, one of tonight's stories includes violence against animals. Listener discretion is advised. Good evening, listeners, and welcome back to Horror Hill. I remain your humble host, Eric Peabody, gallantly leading you all through this dark forest of frightening fiction. So good of you to trust me, to have faith that you won't turn around on this shadowy path and find that you're suddenly alone. Well, I suppose we all have to meet our end at one point or another, 
So in the meantime, how about a nice double feature of horror stories to pass the time? Tonight's episode features two such tales, both prominently featuring members of the animal kingdom. And even though I mentioned it above, I'd like to restate that one of tonight's stories, titled Cats of Friday the 13th, does include some moments of violence against animals. That story, written by E. Reyes, will be our first foray into terror this evening. Michael McDaniel and his friend Philip are two of your typical high school boys. They hang out together and watch horror movies and chat about the various physical assets of their female classmates. On Friday the 13th, one of those classmates, Agnes, surprises both boys when she invites them to a party that evening. As excited as they both are, Michael begins to experience a series of strange events leading up to the get-together. Maybe there's some basis to the reputation that this infamous day has. Following that, we'll be diving into Weird Wolf by K.G. Lewis. This tale opens with our protagonist driving through the Georgia wilderness when his car breaks down. As seems to always be the case, he's a million miles from nowhere and has no cell signal. Deciding to climb a nearby hill to try and make a call, he has an unexpected encounter with, you guessed it, a wolf. One that slowly turns his evening stranger and stranger. Also, we have two guests on tonight's episode. Joining me on Cats of Friday the 13th will be Melissa Medina, and Michelle Kane will be providing some voices for Weird Wolf. You're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to help support Horror Hill and also remove these pesky ads, head to ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. You'll get instant access to hundreds of ad-free stories, and we can scale back some of our uh, less savory means of generating money for the show. By the way, you wouldn't happen to still have all of your organs, would you? And now, from author E. Reyes, I give you... Cats of Friday the 13th. The school bell rang right at 2.45 p.m. The doors of Devil's Hill High were like open floodgates, releasing the student body from their reservoir of anxiousness and boredom. Michael McDaniel was carrying his backpack, which hung over his right shoulder. He was holding it with his hand gripped around the strap. He was walking out of a headache-inducing hour and a half of math class. Hearing his math teacher belittle and scrutinize him in front of his classmates made his good day a shitty one. Michael saw his friend, Philip Graham, walking into oncoming traffic. Hordes of zombie-like teenagers shuffled in the hallway with their faces buried in their phones. Philip was round and bloated, like Mrs. Puff from Spongebob. His face was a milky red color, and beads of sweat were nestled all around his chubby face. His red plaid button-up shirt was unbuttoned, swaying behind him. This made his belly stick out even more. Philip came up to Michael, panting. He placed a meaty paw on his shoulder. 
Hey, buddy. I was looking for you. I totally forgot that you didn't have English today. It's Friday. Michael smiled. Yep, it's Friday the 13th, Jason's birthday. You think Jason gets down with sexy camp counselors in his birthday suit and keeps the mask on? Oh my god, I know I would, said Philip as he took a bite into a stick of thick beef jerky. Can you imagine? Oh my god, you've seen those 80s babes, right? They're probably, like, great-grandmas now, but film preserves their best assets. But anyway, you know that Friday the 13th is real, right? Michael frowned. What do you mean, real? Like, Jason Voorhees is real? Crystal Lake? No, dummy. Oh, hey, Vanessa, I promise I'll bring your pencil back on Monday, said Philip to a blonde girl who was walking with two other blondes. She gave Philip an awkward smile that said, please don't talk to me in public, and turned away. Philip continued. Oh, um, anyway, no, Jason Voorhees? Not real. I'm talking about the date, dude. Friday the 13th. We all know it's a superstitious day, but it really is a superstitious day. Real crazy things happen. Michael and Philip stopped in front of the school and sat on blue benches facing the parking lot. They were the rubbery-feeling type with a diamond-shaped pattern. Michael always stayed with Philip until Philip's mother picked him up. He felt sorry for the guy and didn't want anybody messing with him about his weight. So, Michael sighed as he sat down. What kind of crazy things happen on days like this? The only crazy shit that happened today was noticing that Brenda Medina was wearing a bra today. Not seeing her hard nips made everything weird today. Oh, and I didn't throw my math book at Mr. Gonzalez's egg head in math class, even though I wanted to because I hate that asshole with a passion. <laughs> no, I mean, okay, the number 13, for example, people are scared whenever they see it. There are hotels, actual hotels, that are afraid to even mention the 13th floor. You go in an elevator, you'll notice that many of these buildings don't have a 13 button. It goes from 12 to 14. Michael laughed. <laughs> so what? It doesn't mean that anything happens. Philip took the last bite of his jerky and said, Actually, whoa, that last piece was spicy. Philip coughed and then continued. Actually, the Thompson Bank building downtown had a 13th floor before it burned down. And guess what? The fire started and killed people on the 13th floor first. Coincidence? I thinketh not, my brethren. And, and Mary Gilmore, remember her? She died of a freak accident last Friday the 13th. Mary Gilmore died inside the girls' bathroom at Devil's Hill High. The toilet in the stall next to the one she was using was subtly leaking water. Mary never saw the water. She was busy texting her boyfriend the whole time she was on the seat, fake peeing to get out of class. When she finished fake peeing, she got up, took one step forward, slipped backward, and her head landed on the rim of the toilet seat, cracking it. She hit her temple and busted open her eyebrow. When Melissa Dawn walked in about an hour later, a long stream of blood and water was on the linoleum floor. Mary's white converse stuck out from the bottom of the stall. That's right. That actually is crazy, Michael said as he squinted into the parking lot. But I still believe it's just another day, you know. Same shit, different toilet. 
No pun intended for poor Mary. Philip sighed and said, But there are so many deaths and unexplained incidents that occur on this day, man. But you know what? It's a great day for horror movies. I wish I could watch Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. Really? I only like the first four, said Agnes Johnson. Michael and Philip turned around and saw Agnes smirking. Her dark red hair blew in the October wind. Her gloomy green eyes danced from one boy to the other with a mischievous grace. She wore a black Fleetwood Mac shirt and a leather skirt. Philip's eyes didn't know where to settle on her. They darted around like laser pointers. Finally, setting on her eyes after burning holes in her breasts, Philip said, What? What's wrong with Jason Takes Manhattan? Well, for starters, it's Jason Takes Manhattan. Second, it sounds like a gleeful Broadway musical. Agnes giggled. <sighs> or a porn parody. Well, Jason still kicks ass, Philip said somberly. Oh, don't pout, Philip. I know something that will cheer you up. Agnes smiled. I'm here to invite you two, yes, both of you, to come over to my house tonight. Michael's face brightened up. Really? You having a party or something? Agnes shrugged. Well, not exactly. It's a get-together, I guess you could say. I'm inviting everyone from our English class. There's going to be pizza, soda, and beer, and we will be watching Jason Voorhees cut up other teenagers. Michael smiled. That sounds cool. Count us in. Right, Philip? Philip, hypnotized by Agnes's beauty, blinked twice and said, Oh, yeah, sure, yeah, of course. Ah, sweet. Agnes cheered. Swing by around 8 p.m. Everyone will be getting there at that time. You got it. Thanks for the invite. Sounds like a good time, said Michael. Agnes pointed at both guys and said, It will be... In mock scolding, she walked away. Michael and Philip watched her leave. Dude, we get to hang out at Agnes's house? Agnes, I think Friday the 13th is a lucky day for us guys. We are definitely going. I guess I have to tell my mom to save me a plate of meatloaf, Philip said with a sigh. For sure, man. I'm just going to head home, do some chores my mom wanted me to do, and I'll swing by your place 20 till 8 so we can head over. You know, I don't think Agnes is seeing anybody. I mean, yeah, she was with that douchebag lineman about a month before he disappeared, but I haven't seen her with anyone since. What was it that Pharrell said some time ago? Ah, that's right. Michael snapped his fingers. I'm gonna get lucky, just like the song, my man. Philip smiled painfully and said, Yeah. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. 
Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Things were getting strange as Michael walked home. The sky seemed to darken, although it was a clear, sunny October day. The light blue sky had turned a deep ocean blue. Maybe it was a trick of the eye or the sun's heat baking Michael's brain. He didn't know. When the wind started picking up, it was fierce. Tall and broad, dust devils blew like mini tornadoes, knocking over trash cans and throwing tiny rocks in Michael's eyes. After the dust devils withered away, the wind was cold. The wind was so cold that it made goosebumps crawl all over Michael's body. The chill was gone after about three minutes. When Michael turned a corner into his neighborhood, there was a peculiar homeless man in the parking lot of Wally's food corner. The man was freakishly tall, black, wearing a green and filthy trench coat and a purple beanie that could have been worn during the Great Depression. He was also wearing dirty, white crocs splattered with what seemed to be blood, dark blood. The homeless man was hunched over and had a big smile on his face. He only had three yellow teeth, two on the top and one at the bottom. He was too joyous to hide his atrocious teeth. Michael had seen jack-o'-lanterns with more teeth. Come on, come on, itty-bitty kitty, come on, the homeless man said in a sing-song voice. For such a giant, he had a shy and timid tone. Michael looked down and saw what the man was talking to. It was a black kitten with bright green eyes. The cat meowed and walked away from the homeless man slowly. Come on, itty-bitty kitty. Get your little ass over here now. Come on, you bit. The homeless man said with a Mike Tyson lisp. The automatic sliding doors opened at Wally's food corner and the manager came out. He was about as tall as the homeless man, but he was overweight and white. He wore eyeglasses, had a wavy mop of white hair, and a gut that most surely overshadowed his penis. A fuck out of here, asshole! Leave that goddamn cat alone before I call the cops! But instead of cops, he said, caps. The homeless man turned around, and in the same sing-song voice, he said, Sorry, mister. I'll leave soon as this itty-bitty kitty here gets in my pocket. The thumb bit walked my path. Now I gotta kill him. You're not killing any more goddamn cats! Get the fuck off my property! The manager was turning redder and redder. The homeless man shook his head as if thinking, what's this guy's problem? He lightly picked up the kitten and carefully placed it in a medium-sized pocket in the front of his trench coat. The manager of Wally's was trying to see what the homeless man was doing. He was moving his head left and right, up and down, trying to, somehow, look over the homeless man. Hey kid, you, yeah you, did he pick up the fucking cat? Michael nodded yes. That's it you asshole, I'm calling the cops. The manager stormed off inside, the automatic doors shutting behind him. The homeless man looked over at Michael with his yellow and watery eyes. He started giggling hysterically, like a five-year-old girl who had heard an adult fart. The man placed a long black finger to his lips. The fingernail was long and dangerous looking. Michael noticed that his hands were painted with dried blood to the wrists. Shh. The bum whistled from his lips. Don't tell Mr. Man over there. This itty bitty kitty is mine. 
The kitten screeched in his trench coat, and the homeless man punched the bulge in his pocket. The cat cried out like a child. It creeped Michael the hell out. The homeless man giggled maniacally and ran away. His long legs were getting him away from Michael quickly, and Michael was thankful that God gave the crazy fuck long legs. Michael was finally able to walk again, to breathe again. What in the hell just happened? On his long trip home, everything just seemed wrong to Michael. It was as if all of the evil in Devil's Hill was creeping out. Could this be a chain reaction of events because of Friday the 13th? Because it was October and it was Friday the 13th? No, it couldn't be. Devil's Hill was just weird and had always been that way. Michael thought about Satan's tree out in the desert of Devil's Hill. His grandma had told him a few stories about it. As Michael recalled more strange things that had occurred over the years, he didn't notice what was staring at him from the ditch he usually passed by every day on his way home. Michael saw a blur of white in his peripheral view. When he turned his head to the right, he saw a girl about his age standing underneath the bridge on the edge of darkness, avoiding the sun. Michael started to walk slower to get a better look at the girl. She was ghostly white, and she was wearing a white tank top, tiny black shorts, and was barefoot. She had gold, shoulder-length hair that reached her bony shoulders. Her eyes were a pale blue. Her gray lips were thin and tight. Michael didn't know whether to go and approach the girl, see if she needed help, or keep on walking. She looked harmless and quite beautiful, but he couldn't be too sure. Without a fire truck siren in the air or any sound of a cop car's wailing siren, every dog in the neighborhood of Grapevine started crying and howling. The sound was deafening and scary. Michael stopped walking and turned away from the girl under the bridge. He was looking everywhere, even up at the sky, wondering what the hell was happening. When Michael turned back and gazed at the main road, two cars collided in a thunderous crash. They were old cars, probably from the 70s, so it was real metal on metal, crushing and banging with deadly force. The dogs started howling even more as soon as the crash happened. From one of the cars, an old man of about 60 came spilling out. He opened his car door with a loud squeak and fell on the street. The wail of fire truck sirens came, but the dogs were silent this time. Michael turned his head back to the ditch but the girl was gone. The hell did she go? He said to the air. He heard laughing from behind him. He turned around. About ten feet behind was the girl from underneath the bridge. She was standing perfectly still. Her bare feet were planted on the hot sidewalk. It was way too hot to do some shit like that, Michael thought. Michael decided to see if this girl was all right. Someone had probably heard her. Are you a... The girl smiled. When her gray lips pulled apart, blood gushed out from her mouth and spilled down her chin, ruining her tank top. Her teeth were yellow and stained with blood. Ah, oh, fuck this, said Michael. He ran home and never looked back. He still heard the girl's laugh as he went away. Grapevine was usually crawling with cats of all colors and sizes, stray cats and house cats. 
Michael ran, forgetting to breathe, all the way home and never noticed that all of the cats had mysteriously vanished. This Friday the 13th was turning out to be the freakiest one Michael had ever experienced. It even surpassed the strawberry moon that had occurred on Friday the 13th in June of 2014. It had been a hot summer night. Michael had stayed up late just to watch the event that wouldn't occur again until 2049. Michael was in his backyard, watching the moon alone. As the full moon had turned from white to a reddish hue, a horrible wind had started to blow. It happened just as soon as the moon had an edge of its sphere dipped in red. When the moon was halfway into its strawberry phase, every dog in the neighborhood started howling loudly. It sounded like dogs, coyotes, and wolves. The wind blew harder, and Michael ran inside his home covered in goose flesh. He didn't give a shit to take any pictures. What he experienced was enough. Years later, this present day, Michael finally had an even weirder experience. Feeling strange and out of place, Michael decided to sleep until it was time to pick up Philip and go to Agnes's. He needed to be around people, normal ones, and drink a few beers. He slept, and thankfully, it was dreamless. Philip had called three times and sent five text messages to Michael as Michael slept off his wicked day. Agnes had called Philip and told him to come to her house around six instead of eight and to bring Michael along. Michael wouldn't answer. When Michael awoke, it was 7.36. Oh, shit. Damn it he said as he looked at the time on his phone. He saw the missed calls and unanswered texts from Philip. Michael tried calling him right away, but Philip never answered. After the third try, he just gave up and sent him a text. Call me. When he didn't hear back from Philip, he decided to go to Agnes's on his own at around 7.55. Philip was most likely there anyway. Michael and Philip knew where Agnes lived because she had been living in the same place since elementary school. Michael and Philip attended many of her birthday parties, and a lot of them had creepy clowns that were more scary than funny. Michael's mom wasn't home, so he just scribbled her a note and told her he'd be home at 10 that night. He knew she would call or text him and ask about his whereabouts, but he left the note anyway, right next to the mail he had brought in. Remembering the weirdness that had occurred earlier, Michael put on some noise-canceling headphones and played the Beatles. He locked the front door, and off he went. Michael kept glancing around the neighborhood. It was dark, but there was a very obscure, dark blue color in the sky. The sun wasn't quite ready to let its light dissipate from Devil's Hill. The streetlights were pale and orange, looking down the neighborhood gloomily. Only a few cars passed by as Michael made his way to Agnes's. He kept checking his phone for notifications, but Philip still hadn't called or texted back. When Michael was approaching the ditch he had seen the bloody, grinning girl in, he ran across the street and then ran back across once he was clear of it. He made sure to not look in that direction or even look behind. He had feared seeing the girl grinning with a mouthful of blood. Closer to Agnes's home, Michael started to smell what smelled like a dead cat in the summer. With every step closer, the smell was more pungent and grotesque than before. It smelled like a hundred dead cats on a summer day. 
Michael's music stopped playing. He looked at his phone and it had powered off. The hell? He tried turning it on, but it didn't work. He shrugged and stuck the phone in his pocket, rolling his headphones into a bundle and placing them there too. It's only in your mind, he thought. Michael was finally on Agnes's street when he heard laughter from behind him. It sounded like a girl that had eaten a weed brownie and couldn't stop giggling. When Michael turned around to see who it was, maybe Agnes, he was shocked. The girl he had seen in the ditch earlier was standing barefoot in the middle of the street. The blood on her face had dried up, and it was also splattered all over her tank top. Her smile was joyful. Her teeth were showing. Michael ran and headed into the alley. He dared to look back, but the girl wasn't chasing him. She wasn't there. Her giggling had also ceased. He ran until he recognized the back of Agnes's home, where he remembered bouncy houses deflating and bringing claustrophobia to kids. There was something strange about a bare tree with skeletal branches reaching to the sky in Agnes's backyard. There appeared to be something, a lot of somethings, hanging from the branches. Michael couldn't make out what they were because the alley was dark. There was no light. Before he approached Agnes's backyard, he heard something strange and terrifying ahead. What Michael heard sounded like a chant in... Spanish? No, had to be Latin. The words were unrecognizable. It sounded like something a curvaceous demon would recite on an episode of Supernatural. Where the hell were Sam and Dean Winchester when he needed them? Michael thought. Michael noticed the flickering light of flames after a loud whoosh sounded from Agnes's backyard. Michael crouched low, looking behind, no creepy girl in sight, and he approached the tall wooden picket fence surrounding Agnes's home. There was a hole in the fence, so Michael peeked in. When he looked up, he recoiled in horror and disgust. Michael discovered two things. What was hanging from the tree, and where that dead cat-in-the-summer stench was coming from. With the help of a bonfire, Michael saw about a dozen or so black cats hanging limply by their tails from the tree's branches. The cats were dead, and their arms were outstretched, reaching for nothing. A lot of their mouths were open, tiny tongues hanging out. Their green eyes were open and blankly staring into the face of death. The chanting had ceased, and Michael saw a group of hooded people standing in front of the bonfire. There were pumpkins, both carved and uncarved, all over the ground. He also saw Philip. Philip was naked, except for his white boxer shorts, and he appeared to be tied down to a table you'd play beer pong on. He had a gag in his mouth. He was slithering left and right. His gelatinous body was shaking and wobbling with every move. One of the hooded people dropped down their hood, and Michael saw that it was Agnes. What the fuck is going on today? He whispered. So much for Jason Voorhees and beer. All right. Agnes spoke, looking at every hooded member in her backyard, ten of them. We're here tonight for the cat people. 
The cat people will offer us their protection, wisdom, good fortune, and psychic intuition, which are all very important to a witch. And fortunately, this Friday, the lucky 13th, is in October, the witching season. The hooded cult nodded in agreement. Agnes placed a hand on Philip's chest. He started moving hard, shaking the table with him. We are here tonight on Friday the 13th to offer the blood, virgin blood, to the cat people. Are we all for it? The hoods shouted, yes. Agnes smiled. Mote it be. Agnes pulled out a six-inch blade that reflected the fire. She held it up with both hands, raised it over her head, and she screamed as she dropped the knife on Philip's belly. Philip started thrashing and mumbling loudly. The blade went in smoothly, like a hot knife to butter. Michael couldn't breathe. He was too much in shock to move or talk. His mouth and throat were as dry as the Sonoran Desert. Sweat was spilling down his face uncontrollably. His eyes stayed glued to the hole in the fence. Agnes raised the blade over her head again and swung it down, this time piercing Philip's chest. Philip moved again. The blood from his belly spilled onto the ground while the blood from his chest followed suit. Agnes watched with an excited light in her eyes. Her red hair was wild as fire. Philip started vomiting, but the gag in his mouth was holding back all of the chunks of puke. Another person dropped the hood. It was an honor student named Kim Patterson. Her eyeglasses were still on, but only the fire was seen in them. Oh my goodness, Agnes, he's freaking choking on his vomit. Kim undid the gag in Philip's mouth and dropped it on the floor. She made a disgusted face as vomit touched her fingers. The vomit finally came out, spilling down Philip's fat face. Gosh, Kim, why'd you done that for? Tubby's gonna die anyway. I'm not a, a virgin, you... you fucking slut! Philip choked out. He gritted his teeth in tremendous pain. He closed his eyes and nodded off. What? Wait, what? Another person dropped their hood. It was an idiot jock named Derek Valenzuela. Oh shit, Derek said with a smile. Fucking Philip isn't a virgin? What the fuck? He laughed, holding his chest. Way to go, man. Oh, shut up. Shut the fuck up, everyone. Agnes screeched. What am I going to do now? She whispered to herself. Hey, guys, I found somebody over here. There's a guy. I seen him earlier. When Michael looked away from the hole in the fence, he looked up to his left and saw the giant homeless man. He was smiling at him. The bum held up a long, skinny finger to his lips and shushed Michael. He started laughing. Michael heard Agnes shout out, Get him, get him! Michael, very much a virgin, started running his ass off. He shoved the homeless man. The bum fell on his ass. Hey, what was that for? He cried. Michael looked back and saw that the wooden gate was open. The hooded colt came running out with Agnes in the lead. Her knife was raised, and she looked pissed. As Michael was about to hit the street, 
he saw the girl with the bloody grin standing in the middle. She was crying and hunched over. When Michael stopped to analyze if the girl was real or not, a black pickup truck struck him and sent him flying 20 feet into the street. He landed on his arm but still managed to hit the side of his head on the pavement. His arm shattered in 16 places, breaking three ribs, and his head had a nasty gash that made a piece of his scalp flap down. Michael opened his eyes a few seconds later. The last thing he saw was a hooded person standing over him. But the face wasn't a person's face. It was a cat's face, but monstrous. Michael's eyes closed. You've been listening to Cats of Friday the 13th by E. Reyes. E. Reyes is a writer, a horror fanatic, and the author of the novel The House on Moon Creek Avenue. Overloading on books and movies and working retail, Reyes brings terror and the unimaginable to everyday life with his experiences and transcends them into a different range of characters and situations. When not watching scary movies and reading books, E. Reyes is busy being a father and a husband and putting in time playing Xbox. He resides in Arizona. And now, from K.G. Lewis, I present Weird Wolf. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. No, 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 I said, shaking the steering wheel, hoping that the simple action would keep the old Honda from dying on me. It didn't work. 
The engine sputtered a few more times before finally dying with a pathetic wheeze. As the car rolled forward, I pulled to the side of the road and coasted along the shoulder until it finally came to a stop. Well, shit, I muttered, grabbing my phone from the cup holder and unlocking it with my thumb. My wife had a habit of waiting up for me when I was driving home late, so I wanted to let her know what happened before I called our roadside assistance service. That figures, I said, staring at the no service message displayed in the top right corner of the phone screen. I guess I wasn't going to be calling anyone. The car door groaned as I swung it open and stepped out into the street. Piece of shit, I thought, and slammed the door shut, looking up and down the road, trying to see if I could see any lights in the distance. There was nothing but darkness in either direction. The only light was that of the full moon bathing everything in an eerie blue glow. It was a little after midnight, and according to the map app, my last known position put me somewhere in the North Georgia mountains, about 20 to 30 miles from the nearest town in either direction. That meant it could be hours before I saw another driver, if I saw one at all. I walked up the road a bit, trying to see if I could get a signal for my phone, holding it up in the air as if that extra foot and a half would make any difference. On my way back to the car, I looked at the hills on either side of the road, wondering if climbing one of them might get me clear of whatever was blocking service to my phone. The sound of a stick snapping in the woods behind me reminded me that I might not be alone out there in the middle of nowhere. Probably just a deer, I thought, trying to calm myself. Or a bear, my imagination whispered. I quickly got back into the car and locked the doors. I think I'll just wait a little bit. I hadn't been there that long, and it was possible someone might drive by. There was no sense in running off into the woods if I didn't have to, right? I sat in the car for almost an hour, jumping at every little sound I heard. I eventually got desperate enough to make a deal with whatever higher power might be listening. I promised everything I could think of if they'd just send someone to help me. It was pathetic, and I was starting to annoy myself. Screw this, I said, popping the trunk before getting out of the car. Sitting there doing nothing wasn't getting me any closer to home. If I wanted to get out of there, I was going to have to take a chance at climbing one of the hills. If I were lucky, I'd be able to make a call and be out of there within the hour. I grabbed the tire iron from the trunk, then went back to the front of the car. After opening the door, I leaned inside and pressed my hand on the horn for at least a minute. It was obnoxious, but that was the point. I was trying to scare off anything that might be lurking nearby among the trees. It's just a little walk up a hill and through some woods, I said trying to convince myself I had nothing to worry about. Here we go. With my phone in one hand and the tire iron in the other, I stepped off the road and started to climb the nearest hill. Thankfully, the full moon gave off enough light for me to weave my way around the rocks and through the trees without difficulty. I don't think I would have attempted the climb otherwise. Snap. I was about halfway up the hill when I heard the sound of the twigs snapping. I stopped and listened, raising the tire iron over my shoulder. The noise sounded like it came from the other side of a huge boulder sticking out of the ground like a broken tooth. 
probably just a raccoon or possum. I silently hoped, but I didn't wait around to find out what it was. As quietly as I could, I started walking backward in the opposite direction. Please let there be a signal. I prayed, hoping I would be able to make a call and get the hell out of there and back to civilization. Yes. The no service message was gone. In its place was a single signal bar. I rushed to unlock my phone, but the bar disappeared, replaced by the no service message, before my thumb touched the screen. Damn it. I was so close. I just needed to climb a little higher. Snap. That time, the noise came from directly behind me. I whirled around, holding the tire iron out in front of me, threatening to swing it. What I saw almost gave me a heart attack. Sitting on the ground, about ten feet away, was the biggest wolf I had ever seen. It must have run around the other side of the hill, coming up behind me while I was distracted by my phone. Easy now, I said, taking a step back. The wolf cocked its head to the side and swiveled its ears forward to listen. Wait, don't wolves run in packs? I quickly turned in a circle, scanning the hillside, expecting myself to be surrounded by a pack of hungry canines, but I didn't see any. When I looked back at the wolf, it raised its eyebrows as if to say, what the hell was that all about? How about we both go on about our business, I said backing away from the wolf, moving further up the hill. I'm just going to go up here and make a quick phone call. I held the phone out towards the wolf, and then I'll leave. The wolf remained sitting, following me with its eyes as I tried not to make any sudden movements while I walked up the hill. The further away from the wolf I got, the more confident I became that it wasn't going to attack me. It seemed to be more curious than threatening, that didn't mean I was willing to turn my back on it. I kept the wolf in my line of sight the entire time I moved away from it. Two bars. I stared at the screen of my phone, making sure they weren't going to disappear on me. They remained. Just a few more minutes and you can have these woods all to yourself, I said to the wolf, unlocking the phone with my thumb. I was initially going to call my wife, but decided I should probably call 911 first. I was unfamiliar with the area, and I wasn't sure what was up with that wolf. Better to be safe than sorry. 911, what's your emergency? Her voice sounded distant, probably from the weak signal my phone was receiving. I explained my situation to the operator, leaving out the part about the wolf. I don't have any officers in the vicinity... In the background, I could hear her furiously tapping away at her keyboard. But... She paused for a moment while the tapping continued. There should be a ranger post not far from you. I'm going to put you on a brief hold and see if I can get a hold of someone for you. Okay, thanks. I replied to the operator. To the wolf, who had decided to lie down on the ground, I said, Not long now. He wasn't even paying attention to me. Instead, he was looking off into the night, his ears swiveling back and forth as he listened to sounds that only he could hear. Did you say something? I didn't know she could hear me while I was on hold. Uh, no. Sorry. Just talking to myself. Just give me a few more minutes. She placed me back on hold. I paced back and forth, 
kicking the occasional stick or stone down the hill while I waited for the operator to return. The wolf didn't seem to like the noise I was making. He stood up and glared at me. I was sure he wanted me to stop. Sorry, I whispered, turning away from his judgmental stare. You'd think that the presence of a large wolf would have made me more nervous than I was, but I felt the opposite. He was behaving more like a dog than a wolf, and I didn't feel threatened by him at all. I kind of liked having him around. He made the hillside feel a little bit safer and a lot less lonely. Great news, Mr. Coletti. I was able to get in touch with the ranger station. They're sending someone out to help you. Thank you, I replied while giving the wolf a thumbs up. If you like, I can stay on the line until they arrive. I don't think that'll be necessary. I still needed to call my wife, plus I was anxious to get out of the woods and back to my car. They said they'd be there in about 30 minutes. I'd give them 45. If they don't show up by then, just give us another call. Okay, I will. Is there anything else I can assist you with? No, I think I'm good, I replied. All right, you take care, Mr. Coletti. Will do, I said, tapping the red phone icon and ending the call. Mind if I sit? I said to the wolf, pointing at a small cluster of boulders with a tire iron. The muscles in my legs were starting to ache from all the climbing I'd done. I needed to rest my feet for a moment before I hiked back to the car. I didn't think I needed the tire iron for the time being, so I leaned it up against the rocks as I sat down and prepared to call my wife. One more call and then I am out of here, I said to the wolf, scrolling down my list of contacts until I found my wife's number. Snap. The wolf and I shared a look before turning our gazes to the dark woods, searching for the source of the sound. Snap. Snap. The wolf raised its hackles and began to growl, turning away from me to face the coming threat. The snapping of branches and rustling of pine needles grew louder and louder as whatever was out there began to run towards us. It was big, whatever it was. I wrapped my hand around the tire iron and jumped to my feet, pocketing the phone so that I could hold my weapon in a two-handed grip. I couldn't see what was coming, but I could hear its labored breathing. It was huffing and grunting its way up the hillside. The wolf looked back at me for a moment before he bolted into the woods to confront whatever was coming. Wait! I tried to call out, but he was out of sight before I could speak. Even though I couldn't see what happened when the wolf caught up to the thing out in the woods, I could hear it. The sound of their scuffle was a loud chorus of breaking branches, tumbling rocks, menacing growls, and guttural yells. Yells that sounded almost human. Run! Get out of here while you can! My mind screamed at me. The wolf's buying you some time. Don't waste it! I turned and hurried down the opposite side of the hill away from the conflict, but I didn't get very far. The slope on that side was too steep and rocky to make my way down in the moonlight. One wrong step and I could tumble to my death. I circled back, trying to keep as much distance as I could between me and the intense scuffle that was taking place a short distance away. Once again, I had to stop, but not because I couldn't get past them. It was a voice that stopped me. No! That was not the sound of an animal. I stopped and turned towards the snarling and grunting. All I could see was the constant movement of a massive shadow 
making it impossible for me to distinguish the wolf from whatever was grappling with him. Ignoring my common sense, I moved closer to get a better look at them. What I saw confused me. The wolf, which I assumed was harmless, had its jaws clamped around the ankle of a man trying to drag him off into the woods. The man was on his stomach, kicking at the wolf with his free leg, clawing at the ground as he tried to pull himself towards me. Get away from him! I yelled, running up and swinging the tire iron at the wolf. The wolf released his hold on the man's leg, backing away from my wild swings while he barked and snarled his annoyance at me. I expected the man to get up and thank me, but he didn't say a word. Once he got to his feet, he yelled something incoherent and came running at me, spittle flying from his lips. I didn't have time to react before he barreled into me, knocking us both to the ground. The momentum of the collision sent the tire iron flying from my hand, and the two of us tumbling down the hill. When we finally came to a stop, I was pinned beneath the man, who was at least 50 pounds heavier than me. I braced my hands against the man's chest, trying to push him off. I only needed to lift him a few more inches before I'd have enough room to wiggle out from underneath him. That was when he turned his head and latched onto my forearm with his teeth. What the fuck is wrong with you? I yelled at the man, frantically pounding my free hand against the side of his head, trying to make him let go. He growled in response, biting down harder. Rivulets of blood began running down my arm as his teeth grated against the bone in my wrist. The pain was excruciating. No matter how hard I hit him, he wouldn't let go. This isn't working. I needed to try something else and fast. I couldn't pull my arm free, not without tearing off a chunk of flesh in the process. Think! I reached out, running my hand through the dirt and pine needles next to me, searching for a weapon. My hand brushed against something. Desperate for anything I could use to defend myself, I wrapped my fingers around it, ignoring the barbs digging into my palm. I would have preferred a rock or a stick, but was going to have to make do with the pine cone. I rolled the pine cone in my hand until I had the pointy tip of it turned towards the stranger. Please let this work. Wielding the pine cone like a knife, I swung my arm towards the man's eye. He pulled his head back. The pine cone scraped across his cheek before being stopped by the bridge of his nose. The man yelped in pain, releasing his hold on my arm. But I wasn't free yet. He still had me pinned beneath the bulk of his body. Ignoring the stinging pain of the pinecone's barbs biting into my palm, I continued to drive it into the corner of his eye. I was hoping the attack would force him to roll off of me, but it didn't work that way. It only made him madder. The stranger roared his frustration at me, spraying my face with spittle. Desperate to escape, I started to flail my arms against his chest and face. He was unfazed by the assault, waiting for me to exhaust myself before grabbing my arms and pinning them to the ground. What the fuck is wrong with you? I yelled at him, renewing my struggle to get free. He didn't answer, and I didn't expect him to. The crazed look in his eyes told me he was beyond reasoning. When he leaned forward, bringing his face close to mine, I had a strange thought that he was going to try and kiss me. I turned my head to the side, hoping to avoid whatever he was planning on doing, 
but that was a mistake. He opened his mouth as wide as he could and lunged for my exposed neck. I closed my eyes, bracing myself for the worst. The man's teeth were less than a second away from tearing into my throat, a bite that would mean certain death for me. Using what little strength I could muster, I tried one final time to buck him off of me. It worked! I was momentarily stunned as the weight of the man was suddenly lifted from my body. I can't believe that actually worked! But it hadn't worked. When I opened my eyes, I saw what had really happened. It wasn't me that had knocked the man off. It was the wolf. While the man kept his focus on me, the wolf had blindsided him, knocking him further down the hill. The man bellowed his frustration at being thwarted, wasting no time getting back to his feet and running towards me. The wolf, who had taken up a position between the psychopath and me, ran to meet him. The man tried to dodge around the wolf, hell-bent on reaching me, but the animal was quicker. The large canine threw itself into the path of the man, causing both of them to stumble to the ground. The wolf regained its footing first, looking back at me over its shoulder. I knew what that look meant. He was telling me to get the fuck out of there. You don't have to tell me twice. Hugging my injured arm against my chest, I got to my feet. Thank you. I gave the wolf one final look, but he had already turned back to face the man, teeth bared, ready to bite. I didn't stick around to see what happened next. The wolf could take care of itself. Of that, I was sure. Moving as fast as I could, I ran, trying to put as much distance as possible between that crazy hillbilly and me. I slid and fell on more than one occasion, but I didn't let that slow me down. I am never going back out into the woods again, I promised myself. Somewhere behind me, I heard the wolf yelp. Just give me a few more minutes, buddy. I hoped he wasn't seriously injured. When I made it to the bottom of the hill, I didn't stop running. I burst from the trees and right into the path of an oncoming truck. I was so intent on getting back to my car that I didn't think to look to see if there was anyone else on the road. I froze, raising my arms in a feeble attempt to protect myself as the headlights closed in on me. The driver of the truck slammed on his brakes and swerved to the side before screeching to a halt. The truck passed by so close that I could have reached out and touched the park ranger decal prominently displayed on the passenger door. I dropped to my knees. The excitement of narrowly avoiding death for the second time that night had taken the strength out of my legs. What the hell are you doing in the middle of the road? The ranger said, slamming the door of his truck. The look I gave him was enough to diffuse his anger. Are you okay, mister? He asked, seeing my bloody hand curled against my chest. I shook my head, trying to catch my breath and calm my beating heart. No, I am most definitely not okay. Let's get you over to the truck so I can take a look at that arm the ranger said, helping me get to my feet. He kept one hand on my back to keep me steady as we walked over to his vehicle. Have a seat and tell me what happened, he said, opening the door. While he pulled the first aid kit from beneath the seat and tended to my injured wrist, I told him everything that had happened. The ranger didn't say a word as he cleaned the wound and bandaged it. 
His silence was a bit unnerving. I couldn't tell if he believed me or not. The man that attacked you, the ranger asked, finally breaking a silence. Would you recognize him if you saw him again? Yeah, I replied. I don't think I could forget his face if I tried. After the ranger put the first aid kit back under the seat, he reached up, popped open the glove compartment, and pulled out a piece of paper. Is this him? He asked, holding up the paper so I could see it. That's him, I said. Are you sure? I'm positive, I said, taking the sheet from him and examining it. His hair is a bit longer now and he has a bit of a beard, but that's him. I'm going to have to call this in, he said, reaching across me to grab his radio, which was sitting on the seat next to me. Who is he? I asked, continuing to examine the picture, wondering how someone who looked so normal could act so crazy. That is Wayne Reynolds. He tapped the photo with his index finger. He's wanted for the murder of his wife and kids. After I heard the name, I realized I'd heard it before. It was all over the news a couple of months ago. Wayne Reynolds woke up one night and brutally butchered his wife and daughters. He dismembered them, right? And ate them, the ranger replied. At least that's what the medical examiner thinks. It seems they couldn't find all the pieces. I felt queasy as the image of Wayne Reynolds leaning in to bite my neck flashed before my eyes. Was he planning on eating me, too? You all right? The ranger asked. Yeah, I'm fine. Just a little lightheaded. Once I call this in, we can get you set up in town. In the morning, you can see about getting your car towed. All right, I said. Sit tight, he said, thumping the roof of the truck with his hand before shutting the door and calling the cavalry. I watched the ranger through the windshield as he paced back and forth in front of the truck, talking on his radio. Every once in a while, he'd look back at me. That went on for about ten minutes until I saw him drop the radio to his side and stare off into the woods. I could tell the conversation was over and the ranger wasn't happy about something. You ready to go? He asked, climbing into the driver's seat and setting the radio on the dashboard. We're not staying? I asked. I figured I'd have to hang around until the cops arrived so I could tell him what happened. Nope. His curt reply told me he wasn't happy about leaving. Why? We're non-essential. That's the term the state police used. They told me to take you into town and let the dock look you over. Someone's supposed to meet us there to take your statement. He turned the key, starting the engine. Is there anything you need to grab from your car before we head out? He pointed at my Honda. No, I replied, and then suddenly remembered my phone. I reached behind me, intending to pull it out of my back pocket, but it wasn't there. Shit, I lost my phone, I said. It must have fallen out of my pocket when I was wrestling with that psychopath. I looked over at the hill. If you're thinking about going back out there to find it, forget it, the ranger said, putting the truck in gear and easing back onto the road. Don't worry, I gave a humorless laugh. I have no intention of going back out there. I kept my eyes on the hill as we drove off, wondering about my strange encounter with the wolf. If it weren't for him, I would have been just another victim of Wayne Reynolds. Can I ask you a question? I asked 
breaking the silence of the last few miles. It's on your mind, he replied, turning to look at me. I'm assuming you're pretty familiar with this area? I've lived here my entire life. I know these woods like I know my own backyard. Without taking his hand off the steering wheel, he extended his index finger, indicating the dark shadows of the hills looming in the distance. How much do you know about wolves? I asked. Is this about that wolf you saw? The one that helped you? Yeah. I held his gaze for a moment. Have you ever heard of anything like that happening before? Never, he said, pausing to collect his thoughts. If I'm being honest, I don't think what you saw was a wolf. Why do you think that? There hasn't been a wolf sighting in this area for over 40 years. Plus, the animal you described is much larger than any wolf that ever roamed these hills. You think it's possible that maybe what you saw was a dog? It's not uncommon for hunters and hikers to let their dogs roam free out here. I suppose it's possible, I said. It did act more like a dog than a wolf, but it wasn't wearing a collar. Lots of owners around here don't have collars for their dogs, the ranger said. I wasn't an expert on wolves or dogs, so I let the conversation drop, keeping my thoughts to myself. The ranger knew the area better than I did, and if he thought it was a dog, it probably was a dog. I was just trying to make sense of the weird encounter. It didn't matter what type of animal it was, I was grateful for its help. Here we are, the ranger said. The trees that lined the road were suddenly replaced by houses and small businesses, many of which looked like they were built before I was born. Quite a few of them had their doors and windows boarded up or in disrepair. It was depressing. The town has seen better days, he said, sensing my mood. The last thing it needs is any publicity from Wayne Reynolds. The ranger pulled the truck up to the front of a small clinic. The design of it made me think that it might have been a school at one time. Through the door, I could see a bored-looking receptionist staring at her phone. This is where we part ways, the ranger said, at least for the time being. You're not staying? I asked. I gotta get back to my post and finish my shift. He took one of his hands off of the steering wheel and reached into the breast pocket of his uniform and pulled out a business card. I'll stop by and check on you in the morning. In the meantime, if you need anything, give me a call, he said, handing the card to me. Thanks, Boyd, I said, reading the ranger's name off of the card. Just doing my job, Boyd replied. Now, go get that arm looked at before the state police arrive and ruin the rest of your evening. He nodded towards the clinic. It can't possibly get worse than it already is, I said, opening the door of the truck and getting out. Knock on wood, Boyd said, wrapping his knuckle on the dashboard of the truck in an attempt to ward off any more misfortune for me. I shut the truck door and raised my hand in a wave as Boyd drove off. Once he was back on the road, I pocketed the business card he gave me and walked through the automatic doors into the clinic. How can I help you, sir? The lady behind the desk asked, putting down her phone. I could see she was wearing scrubs under her sweater. She looked like a nurse. The clinic must have had her pulling double duty as the receptionist as well. I've had a bit of an accident, I said, holding up my bandaged arm. Spots of blood had already started to seep through the gauze. But first, I was wondering if I could use your phone to call my wife, let her know where I am. Of course, there's a phone right over there. She pointed to a table in the tiny waiting area. 
I walked over to the phone, not bothering to sit down as I dialed my wife's number. Her phone rang four times before going to her voicemail. I didn't expect her to answer. She often set her phone to do not disturb when she went to sleep. I left her a message telling her that I had car trouble and that I was going to be late getting home. I also told her that I had lost my phone, but I left out the part about the wolf and being attacked by Wayne Reynolds. I didn't want to worry her needlessly. There would be plenty of time to tell her all about it when I got home. I ended the call by telling her that I loved her and the kids and that I would call them in the morning. When I turned back around, the nurse was standing there waiting for me, a clipboard in her hand. I just need you to fill out these forms. She held out the clipboard. And I'm going to need to see your insurance cards. I pulled my insurance card out of my wallet and traded it for the clipboard. Thank you, Mr. Coletti. She read my name off of the insurance card. I'll be right back. While the nurse pulled up my insurance information on the computer, I sat down and filled out the paperwork. You all set? The nurse asked ten minutes later, walking over to the waiting area to check on me. Yeah, I said, handing her the clipboard. She returned my insurance card. She flipped through the paperwork, making sure I had filled everything out correctly and that I had signed and dated all of the appropriate forms. All right, follow me. She led the way through a set of double doors next to the reception area. My name's Amanda. I'm a nurse practitioner, and I'll be taking care of you. She led me down the hallway and into a small examination room. Go ahead and hop up here. I just need to check your vitals before we take a look at your arm. Amanda patted the table. She checked my temperature, then put that little device on the tip of my finger to measure my pulse and oxygen. After that, she took my blood pressure. All of the results were normal. I was surprised when she told me what my blood pressure was. The last few times I've had it checked, it was elevated. My doctor had told me that I was likely going to have to take medication to manage it. Let's see what we've got here, Amanda said, slowly unrolling the bandage the ranger had wrapped around my hand. Are you the only one here? I was just trying to make conversation. Edgar the janitor is around somewhere. She pulled the last of the bandage off my wrist. Other than that, it's just me. Oh, was all I could think of to say. Most nights I just sit at my desk, reading or playing games on my phone. The weekend is when we tend to get most of our business. But that's just because the idiots that live here can't find anything else to do on a Saturday night besides getting drunk and picking fights. What happens if you have an emergency? The serious cases get rerouted to the county hospital. If it's something we can handle here, Doc Weber is the doctor on call. He just lives up the road. While Amanda spoke, she examined the bite wound, gently turning my arm to get a better look at all of the teeth marks on my wrist. So, what happened here? She gestured at my wrist with her gloved hand. And don't try to tell me it was an accident like you did before. That's a pretty nasty-looking bite mark, and judging from the pattern... I'd say the animal that bit you was a human. It wasn't an accident. I was attacked. There was no reason to keep the truth from her. I told her what happened, leaving out the part about the wolf. I don't know why I didn't mention it. I was about to, but suddenly changed my mind. Wayne Reynolds? Holy shit! You're lucky that guy didn't kill you. I can't believe what that sick bastard did to his family. How did you get away? I, uh, I, 
I searched my mind for a reasonable explanation, once again not wanting to mention the wolf. I had my tire iron with me. I pantomimed, swinging the tire iron. When he let go, I pushed him off and ran. And that happened tonight? She sounded skeptical. Yeah, I said. About an hour ago. Why? This wound doesn't look that fresh. She had a puzzled look on her face. What do you mean? I said, looking at my arm, trying to make sense of what she was saying. These puncture wounds are already in the second stage of healing. Amanda pointed at a few of the bite marks. See how they're inflamed and already starting to pucker around the edges? Yeah, I said. I could see what she was talking about, but I didn't understand why that was such a big deal. That usually doesn't happen for a few days, especially with wounds as deep as these. She nodded at my arm. That's a good thing, right? I asked. It's a very good thing. It means you won't need any stitches, but I'm afraid I'm still going to have to give you a couple of shots. A couple? I raised my eyebrows. As in, more than one? I didn't like needles. Afraid so. The human mouth is a dirty place. Even though your wound is already healing, it can still get infected. To prevent that, I'm going to give you a tetanus shot and a shot of antibiotics. I'll also be sending you home with a prescription for some more antibiotics. But first, I'm going to clean and bandage your wrist. I won't be going home. Not tonight. I still needed to call a tow truck and get my car fixed before I could go anywhere. If you need a place to stay... She wiped away the dried blood from my wrist with a damp cloth. There's a motor lodge a short walk from here. I can give you the directions before you leave. Thanks. I'd appreciate that. After Amanda finished cleaning and bandaging my wrist, she gave me the two shots she promised, one in each butt cheek. I could still feel the sting from the shots as I followed her out of the exam room and back to the waiting room, where a police officer was waiting by her desk. How can I help you, officer? I think he's here to talk to me, I said. Mr. Coletti, the officer held his hand out to me. I'm Deputy Landers. I'm with the state police. I shook the offered hand. Do you need me to go down to the station? I don't think that'll be necessary. He took off his hat and gestured towards the waiting room. We can talk right here if it's okay with you, ma'am. He looked over at Amanda. I don't have a problem with that if he doesn't. She looked over at me. It's fine with me, I said. I'm ready to get this night over with. Amanda gave me a sympathetic look. I have to go tidy up. She pointed with one hand to the hallway we had just emerged from while handing me my antibiotic prescription with the other. Thanks, I said, watching her walk through the double doors and out of sight. I followed Deputy Landers over to the waiting room, taking the seat opposite from him so that we were facing each other. He pulled a pen and notepad from his shirt pocket. I waited while he flipped through the pages looking for a clean one to write on. Tell me what happened, he said. Where should I start? I asked. He flipped back a few pages and read over some notes. Start when your car died and he had to pull over. I assumed Boyd, the park ranger, had already given them a brief rundown of what I had told him when he radioed in calling for police assistance. With that in mind, I told Deputy Landers everything I had told Boyd. 
When I got to the part about the wolf, I found that I had to force myself to talk about it. Something inside me wanted to keep my encounter with the animal a secret, which made me hold back on a few of the details. I didn't have the same issue when I was talking to Boyd. Thankfully, the deputy didn't question me on the wolf. He was more interested in who attacked me, asking me to describe the man as best as I could. You're sure this is the man that attacked you? Deputy Landers held out his phone, showing me a picture of Wayne Reynolds. I'm positive, I replied. Did you find him? Not yet, he said. But we will. He can't hide in those woods forever. Deputy Landers stood up, indicating the interview was coming to a close. I just need to get some contact information from you and then we're done here. I can give you my address and home phone number, but I lost my cell phone in the woods while I was running away from Wayne Reynolds. I don't suppose anyone found it? I asked. Now that I know of, Deputy Landers replied. They did find a tire iron, which I'm assuming belongs to you. Which reminds me, we're going to have your car towed into town in the morning. I was happy to hear that. That was one less thing I had to worry about. Go ahead and give me your address and telephone number, the deputy said. He had his pen and notepad ready. While I gave him my information, Amanda walked back into the waiting area and returned to her desk. I think I'm ready for those directions now, I said to Amanda, referring to the motor lodge she had mentioned earlier. It's called the Hunter's Hide. If you walk out of here and... She didn't get to finish what she was saying before Deputy Landers interrupted her. I'm headed that way. I can drop you off if you like, he offered. Sure. I wasn't going to pass up a free ride. That'd be great. I followed Deputy Landers out to his car, where he opened the passenger door for me. Once he was inside the vehicle, he radioed his dispatcher to let them know he was leaving the clinic and heading back out to the scene. He dropped me off in front of the office of the motel, handing me a card as I got out of the car. Give me a call if you think of anything else that might help us. Will do, I said, pocketing the card. And thanks for the ride. The Hunter's Hide Motel reminded me of the Bates Motel from that old black-and-white movie Psycho. The only thing missing was a creepy old house looming in the distance. I entered the office expecting to see a Norman Bates lookalike behind the counter, but was instead greeted by a bearded gentleman that looked like a member of ZZ Top. From the way he was rubbing his eyes and yawning, I must have woken him up. He gave me the room at the far end of the motel, claiming it was the best of the bunch because it was the one closest to the vending machines. I took the key and thanked him, eager to get into the room so I could take a shower and try to get some sleep. Taking a shower was a bit awkward. I had to wash with one hand while keeping the other one out of the stream of water. Once I was clean, I leaned my head against the wall and let the hot water run over my tired body. I stayed that way until I felt myself nodding off. I climbed into the bed wearing nothing but my boxers, falling asleep the moment my head hit the pillow. Bam! 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 I wiped the drool from my chin and opened my eyes, wondering where the banging was coming from. The sunlight streaming in through the crack in the curtains told me it was morning. I looked over at the clock. It was just after eight. Bam! 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 Someone was banging on the door of my hotel room. Just a second, I croaked, trying to remember where I had tossed my clothes. 
I found them lying on the floor just outside the bathroom. I got dressed as fast as I could, tugging open the door. Whoever was knocking had better have a good reason for waking me up. I had only gotten the door open a few inches before someone pushed their way into the room, knocking me into the wall. The intruder's face was instantly recognizable. It was Wayne Reynolds. His right eye was bruised and swollen from where I had hit him with the pine cone. Wayne placed his hands out in front of him. I'm not here to hurt you, he said. I just need to talk to you. We don't have anything to talk about, I said, casting a look over at the phone, wondering if I could get to it before he could stop me. He knew what I was thinking and took a step to the side, blocking my path. He positioned himself in such a way that he could quickly stop me if I made a run for the phone or the door. I just want to talk, I swear. He kept his hands out in the open where I could see them. Look, I'll prove it. He reached behind him and pulled my phone out of his back pocket. I'll give this back to you if you'll just hear me out. There was something desperate about his demeanor. He had changed drastically since I had last seen him. Gone was the crazy look in his eyes. In its place was the look of a tired and defeated man. Fine, I said, crossing my arms over my chest. Make it quick. Wayne put my phone back in his pocket. You might want to sit down, he said, pointing at the chair in the corner of the room. I'm fine where I am. Strangely, I wasn't afraid of him any longer. There was something pitiable about the way he stood there with his shoulders sloped. He took a deep breath and ran his hands through his hair. This is going to sound crazy. Crazy doesn't begin to describe what you did to me out in those woods. I snapped at him, holding up my bandaged wrist. That wasn't me, he said. If it wasn't you, then who was it? I scoffed. It was the wolf, he replied, sitting down on the edge of the bed. The wolf? Hearing him speak about the wolf made me uneasy. He shouldn't be talking about it. I can tell it's already starting to affect you, he said, seeing the troubled look on my face. The wolf doesn't like being the center of attention. It prefers to remain hidden. I don't know what you're talking about. That's why I'm here, to help you understand. He paused, spending the next few moments staring at the floor. When his gaze returned to me, there were tears in his eyes. I just hope you're a lot smarter than me and listen. I didn't say anything. I just waited for him to get to the point. I didn't kill my family. I would never hurt them. He wiped his eyes with the back of his hand. And I didn't do that. He pointed at my wrist. I was about to refute his claim, but he held up his hand, quieting me. It was my body, but it wasn't me, Wayne said, fixing me with his good eye. I was bitten two months ago. I was out late trying to finish some work on one of my construction sites when this crazy guy came out of nowhere and tackled me. When I held up my arm to defend myself, he sank his teeth into my forearm. If the wolf hadn't shown up and fought him off, he would have killed me. The wolf again. I didn't tell anyone what happened. When my wife saw my bandaged arm, I just told her I cut myself at work. It happened often enough, so she didn't question it. 
A few days later, I was shocked when the man who had bitten me showed up at the construction site again. I threatened to call the cops on him if he didn't leave. Before I managed to chase him off, he threw a folded up piece of paper at me, begging me to read it. The last thing he said to me before he ran off was, If you love your family, you'll get as far away from them as possible. This is what he threw at me, Wayne said, pulling a folded up piece of paper out of his pocket. It was yellowed with age and the corners were flaking off. He held it out to me. I took the paper and slowly unfolded it, doing my best to keep it intact. It was a handwritten note, and this is what it said. The weird wolf has bitten you. When the full moon rises, your body belongs to the beast, and his body belongs to you. I could not stop his hunger. I pray you are more successful than me. Protect your loved ones. Get as far away from them as you can. The wolf? I forced the words out. That was you trying to help me? Wayne nodded his head. This is... (laughs) this is insane. I tried to hand the note back to him. That's yours now, he said, refusing to accept it. This is also yours, he added, pulling my phone out of his pocket and holding it out to me. I'm sorry this happened to you, he said. I truly am. I did everything I could to stop him. I never thought we'd run into anyone out there. I took the phone and stared at it, remembering when I attacked the wolf, thinking I was saving the man. Had I sealed my own fate? Wayne stood up and headed for the door. Where are you going? I also stood up. I know you want answers, but I don't have them. All I can tell you is that the note is real. If I had believed it, my family would still be alive. He opened the door. Where will you go? I asked. I'm going to turn myself in, he sighed, turning back to face me from the doorway. I'm tired of running, and it's time I take responsibility for the death of my family. But you didn't kill them. I might as well have. I might have been able to save them if I hadn't been home that night. Why didn't you turn yourself in earlier once you found out what had happened? I tried, but the wolf wouldn't let me. You'll learn soon enough that the wolf will do anything to survive and remain free. Plus, I'm not just turning myself in because I feel guilty. I'm turning myself in to protect myself from you. Me? The wolf didn't just use my body to kill my family that night. It also killed the man who bit me. They just haven't found his body yet. The wolf will use you to track me down and kill me, first chance he gets. Why? The fewer people that know about him, the greater his chances of survival are. If you love your family, you'll get as far away from them as possible. The ones closest to you are the biggest threat to its survival. That was the last thing Wayne Reynolds said to me before shutting the door and walking away. You've just heard Weird Wolf by K.G. Lewis. K.G. Lewis is an American horror author and tabletop game designer. 
And that, dear friends, ends our broadcast evening. I'd like to thank both Melissa Medina and Michelle Kane for their contributions to tonight's stories. Additionally, both of these tales are included in story compilations published by Velux Books, www.veloxboks.com. Velux has provided us with a number of stories as of late, and it would behoove any cultured horror fan to go see what other goodies they have to offer. Until next week, listeners, stay spooky. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Tonight's episode was hosted and narrated by yours truly, Eric Peabody. Original music provided by Eric Peabody and Nikki McSorley. Finalization by Eric Peabody and Craig Groshek. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you'd like performed? Email it to us at natalie at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your work considered for future production. Seeing as how we're all living in a technological nightmare of our own devising, I'll ask you to follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on social media and upvote, subscribe, and hit the bell notification icon if you're listening to this on YouTube. Not only will you have appeased the dark gods of cyberspace, but you'll be kept in the loop as we prepare more terrifying content. If you'd like access to uninterrupted horror, free of ads and these annoying bookend segments, might I recommend becoming a patron? You'll get access to hundreds of episodes of this show, as well as everything from the other programs in the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights cabal. That means all of Otis Jiry's scary stories told in the dark, Drew Blood's Dark Tales, Paul J. McSorley's Fear from the Heartland, and more. It's a veritable smorgasbord of horrific delights. As for me personally, I'm on most social media as Viking Guitar or Viking Guitar Productions. I'm always on the lookout for new stories to narrate and new music projects to mix or master. If that's of interest to you, feel free to reach out and we can talk turkey. Also, I will be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. you know and trust is now angie and we're so much more than just a list we still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly we can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish so remember angie's list is now angie and we're here to get your job done right get started at angie.com that's a-n-g-i or download the app today you can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. 
connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.